Second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I gotta buy some fucking drip pants. <laughs> Welcome back to the March Mitchell featuring Selena Santa's Pond. It's a beautiful day. It is currently November 16th. It's a Monday. We got lots of shenanigans going on. Team Alex is moving into the podcast house. We're going to have a good meeting soon. We're also here to talk to you today about our artist of the week, which is going to be our last bigger name artist. The story so far with Parker Cannon, a frontman who I've grown up with. We're also going to hit you up with CSP as they talk about the decriminalization of drugs. In Oregon, and last but not least, we're taking it back home with my best friend, Mitchell Herring, where we're going to hear him talk about the Adam Sandler classic, Big Daddy, and why it's important to show up to McDonald's before breakfast is over. <laughs> it's really the most important scene in the entire movie. That is movie. the takeaway from that movie. I mean, Steve Buscemi, Adam Sandler sitting there arguing over you know, breakfast stopping at 1030 versus 1130. That 24 hour, this is before that 24 hour <laughs> bullshit. Like, <laughs> have you ever tried to get a McMuffin after fucking like, uh, like 1 PM? Like it's, it's tastes like wet rubber. Yes. The quality probably decays and rots with, you know, the passage, the passage of like going to lunch and dinner time and crap. And like for them to have breakfast on deck is like breakfast ingredients. You know, they only go so far. You know? <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> it, 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 they, it, since COVID, they rolled it back. Like you can only get breakfast back till 1030. Really? Now. Yeah, they did. They went old school and I commend them for that because anything after 1030 is based. We, uh, we used to in the, in my pile days, we used to. Uh, basically, if we didn't get up before we could get a McDonald's breakfast to get us going, the day was pretty much shot. <laughs> you need that greasiness, that protein, those carbohydrates to get your day going and crap. Because yeah, that, if you don't get that right at the start of the breakfast is the most important meal of the day, motherfucker. Yeah. That's when my friend uh, turned me on to the uh, the sausage burritos, which I for <sighs> in, for my entire life, I thought those things smelled and looked like burnt rubber. <laughs> and then, and then eventually one day I, I got a set for myself with the hot sauce and and and, and from that day forward I, I understood with you the convert with the hot sauce with the picante sauce it makes a world of difference and if they give you that mild shit go back and throw it in their face. This podcast is brought to you and sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> the- My first actual political activism was against McDonald's when I was five. I announced that I was boycotting all McDonald's forever, which. That turned out to be a lie. But I announced that I was boycotting all McDonald's forever because I found out that they had been uh, cooking French fries in animal grease. Yeah. When they had sworn that it was definitely only vegetable fat. Yeah. And so I thought that that was wildly unfair to vegetarians like myself and bad business practice. So as a five-year-old, I decided that was my first political stance. I, for a really long time, didn't eat McDonald's out of just the awareness that I knew it was bad for me. And so like there was like many, many years where like I didn't eat McDonald's and somewhere down the line it got me. Got me again. Might have been like a road trip or something. And like that was the stop. Like I wasn't in control of uh, the road trip dynamic. And so, yeah, it, it turned out that McDonald's was the was the snack of the road. Their French fries are really damn good. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Disagree. Are. but whatever. Oh, no. Well, growing up, my little brother was super picky. Ely was super picky. And so whenever like one of the only things that he would eat was specifically McDonald's French fries. So we spent a lot of time going through McDonald's for French fries. Collecting fries, getting all the nice proteins and salt, whether you're a vegetarian There's like no CSP protein. 
or you're all about hitting the road with the dollar menu diet like our man Mitch. Oh, there's no dollar menu anymore. Ah, it's really just a bad BOGO menu now. Now it's like a really weird BOGO menu. Yeah. They McDonald's pulled <laughs> they 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 pulled a huge bamboozle and Oof, and their big yeah. their big sign is like Buy one, get one for a dollar. Oh, but it's two dollars. That is not what a BOGO is. That is not a BOGO. Buy one, get one. You cannot add to that. You cannot comma plus tack on to that saying a buy one, get one means you buy one and you get one. And McDonald's is just like, nah, fuck the rules. <laughs> we need to make more money. Those sons of bitches. Oh, We're so in the money. I really miss the dollar menu. <laughs> it really hurts my feelings that we don't have a McDonald's dollar menu. That's what 2020 has brought us. Taco Bell still has a dollar menu and that's why they're my f- best friend in the world. Yeah, but they've removed your potato tacos. I know. That's why they're my second best friend in the world. Okay. Well, who's your first then? Rianne. Rianne. Mm-hmm. There you go. You heard it here first. Let's get the show going. Let's get it going. <laughs> this will be probably one of our last uh, major name bands, whether you've heard of them or not, or you're a big subscriber to the punk rock scene. We're going to talk to you about none other than Walnut Creek, California's very own The Story So Far. The Story So Far are a huge, huge influence on the modern pop punk scene starting back in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Parker Cannon's music has been a huge, uh, you know, catalyst for me in my own career. We were actually the same age, but whereas I was just starting college, Parker Cannon literally had like the biggest hit album ever. Anyone who's had a Tumblr or listened to pop punk music back in 2010, 2011 knows Under Soil and Dirt, their breakthrough, huge hit album. It literally just decimated like, the Zia Records in Vegas. I remember like going to Zia Records and stuff. CSP, they had Zia Records in Phoenix. I was just going to say, I didn't realize that y'all had Zia Records in in Vegas. I fucking loved Zia Records. Yeah, it's a big Southwestern thing. And I remember just like, they were fucking killing it. Like, who's the story so far? And I remember going to see them play at, they had a VFW hall where they would rent out the like meeting room space for local bands. And they just fucking came and killed it. And they're literally like the same age as me. I'm like, holy shit, this band is literally like just fucking on top of the fucking. They're like in the billboard, like Hot 100. And they're just like fucking cranking out these pop hits and and like these punk bangers. Like people are like jumping in the crowd. Like imagine like someone crowd surfs, like it's a floor level show and someone crowd surfs from like the crowd. And they're just actually like you're trying to play an instrument and they're like still on top of you, still floating on top of you somehow. Then they eventually roll off and then like shatter an ankle. (laughs) Shattered ankle. Through the progression of this band, I too myself have grown up. I've struggled with all kinds of things growing up. And I realize, you know, real strength is kind of just being candid and being vulnerable. Um, in the later 20, 2010s, post 2015, 2016, the lead singer Parker Cannon actually had a really, really bad uh, show one day. There was a young woman who was on stage trying to take a selfie with the band with her Apple iPhone and like the camera wouldn't like open right away. And like this was like her chance to finally like get a selfie like on stage because the band would normally advocate for like uh, stage divers. They wanted to keep it as punk rock as possible. Mm-hmm. I know there's definitely some people who go to concerts and it's like, hey, it's not really punk rock of you to, to just jump on my head. Like, I don't like that, you know, but like we, we, we try to keep it fun and safe as much as we could. And uh, Parker negligently had, had essentially not, I wouldn't say it was a full blown like karate kick, but basically put his foot on her butt and like kind of pushed her off stage. Wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh. Le- that was, that's a full blown Leonidas. <laughs> 300 this kick. Is hardcore. 
And of course, he dealt with a very huge backlash and shame, and he just kind of went through a dark space and stuff because of his actions. He, you know, despite being charged as someone who is very angry and like anger driven with his music, got written up really bad. The band got lots of bad write ups and stuff, and they were kind of in, not really in the limelight anymore after their third album. Uh, and pretty much the guy had turned hard, no pun intended, got really into lean. And what yeah. I'm talking about is like Promethazine. He's into me. <laughs> As a crush on the co-host. Ooh, oh my gosh. And then pretty much just descended into kind of a dark space. He didn't really get the thrill of, you know, getting to play shows in a while because the band was so burnt out. His bandmates were so burnt out from constant tours. Mm. Imagine you're doing... 100 plus days a year like in a van going across the it's US exhausting, yeah. and you're just like you're not sleeping right your shit's breaking down you're dealing with like you're probably partying a lot more than you typically would if you were just back home word up literally they would headline they headlined uh, warp tour several times too and um, I remember seeing like it was either Twitter or Instagram and seeing like the collection of like the orange bottles with the white caps like in the corner of his room just stacked up. Wait, you mean like the prescriptions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, got it. Yeah, because former addicts know. Former addicts know, literally. Orange bottle yeah. with white caps. Full, uh, yeah, full, I know what full, that is. Full of the syrup. Yeah. Like, what though. is that, Fanta? <laughs> <laughs> the syrups. Some of us have lived different lives, you can tell. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. And it, it really was actually very inspiring to see. Like I had been I had, had like a few bad runs with like different shit in my life and different points in my life, but I remember seeing um, you know, this album was kind of like giving the band like a second chance and kind of giving them a clean slate. And that was really inspiring for me. And this album actually, you know, it's coming up on like year two of being out. But um to this day, it's one of the best concerts I've seen at the Roseland Theater which actually features several different artists we've had on the show. Uh, the story so far headline, they've, we had Movements, who we did a few weeks ago. Movements played the show. Citizen and Turnover also played that show. Uh, Turnover is a favorite band of myself and one of our last guests on the show, Kay Dill from Swiss Army Life. Make sure you check out Swiss Army Life on Spotify and Apple Music. Also check out our last artist of the week, Demigod Yari. Check him out. He's Yari on Spotify. Go peep his music. This dude's got hits for days, mm -hmm. days, days. Seeing the constant evolution of this band and them growing up also helped me grow up too. And I kind of realized that, you know, hey, sometimes you have to want something for yourself more than like other people want that for you. And like, it can always be like a challenge. You're going to have risks and stuff. And the reason why I love this song of the week, which we're going to do, this is called If I Fall. It's a song about change and growth. And the lyrics go, clear your head. So self-centered, but you're, welly, you're really well-read. Clear your bed. All that oil is going to kill you dead. <laughs> you know, whether, you know, the oil can be a lot of different stuff. Massage for oil. Massage oil. <laughs> the coconut butter was piling up and it was just a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what they say about coconut oil? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. It's a dirty joke. What do they say? It's a dirty joke. The larger it. the coconut, the more yield you get. No, obviously, no. anyone in the in the oil and lotion industry knows this. Let's of course. I, <laughs> let me let me see if I can make this TVMA and and not NC seventeen. Uh, so if when you oil up the back end and proceed to uh, place your oral uh, ah butt stuff. Butt stuff. 
They call it an almond joy. Thanks for coming, everybody. This has been Martin Mitchell. <laughs> do, 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 do. Goosebumps. Yeah. The music starts playing. I hope my and the parents don't start listen rolling. to this. I'm oh, grounded. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. story so far has been active since 2007, and they're one of the main flagship bands for Pure Noise Records. They just had a new merch drop. Check out their Instagram and their personal website where you can purchase some of their new merch. The story so far is Parker Cannon, Kellen Kapener, Kevin Geyer, Will Levy, and Ryan Sorf. The song of the week is going to be If I Fall off their 2018 album, Proper Dose. Always take your proper dose and listen to our song of the week right here on the March and Mitch Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening to the March and Mitch Show, your artist of the week. Featuring Celine Santa's Pond. Featuring Celine Santa's Pond. That's my name. That's your name. We got Celine Santa's Pond here featuring the March and Mitch Show. (laughs) (laughs) And tonight, tonight our artist of the week is none other than the story so far. Uh, 
And that's pretty much the flagship band for Pure Noise Records. It's been really cool to talk about them on the show. And this will probably be a good kind of portal and view into my life and my struggles. I've, I've dealt with all kinds of stuff, whether it was, you know, alcohol or, you know, other crazy crap. And just I, I've learned as I get older and continue to age that. Uh, you have to kind of want stuff for you more than other people want that for you. Your friends will like, you know, you'll let your friends down, you'll let your family down and you can lose a lot of shit before you realize like, you know, like, fuck, how, how far can I fucking sink? So it's been an experience to kind of realize, you know, like kind of how Parker sings in that song, which is our song of the week. Uh, I'm forcing myself to get better by fall. Would you be there if I fall? You know what I mean? So it's good to have your family and friends there to always rely on you and stuff. CSP, what'd you think of our song this week? I liked it. And I've never listened to the story so far, which is embarrassing because I always identify as an emo kid. But (laughs) I just I never happened to listen to the story so far. But they were always one of those bands I knew I should listen to. And yeah, no, I, I like it. It's it's got very nostalgic type emo vibes. I feel like I I wish I had listened to it when, you know, when when they were new. So I could like connect to it a little bit more viscerally. But yeah, no, great song. I'm I'm glad that you chose them this week. I like what you had to say. Mitchell Herring as a former uh punk scene veteran and uh, you know, yeah, some guy some guy who used, who used to dibble dabble with the skate punk and who has who actually has two guitars. I've seen them. <laughs> What'd you think of our track this week? I think I got more than two, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of them is actually I have three. I have three electric guitars. <laughs> one's a seven string, one's one's the uh the epiphone. The seven string is so sick. Yeah. The L T D is sick. And then the uh and then I've got like a, a starter one at the top. Then I have the bass. Mm-hmm. And then I had a dope ass uh, acoustic and a dope at well actually that one wasn't acoustic what do you call that like a folk guitar uh some uh, a semi yeah, basically yeah something like that that one got busted somewhere in between the moves and and i'm sad oh. about that one because i would love playing that one that that was the broken foot song that i showed you guys that was played on that thing mm. um but it's it's super broke right now so i have to get it repaired that isn't even mine that's like my old 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 ex's guitar and like from their grandma and they just never wanted it back so it's mine now but it sounds it's so mine good now. it sounds so good i love it but yes it. as a terrible musician uh, for many years, yeah, that those guys, um, from what I could tell, it's, it sounds good. I mean, honestly, it sounds straight out of the '90s. Like if you had been on MTV at two in the morning, you know, just kind of zoning out. Like Love those, it. Those guys would have been followed up right, right behind Blink One Eighty Two. Something. Love it, dude. Doesn't it sound like they would be like on like the American Pie soundtrack or something? Yeah, like that? yeah. <laughs> Banging soundtrack, by the way. Oh my gosh, dude! The the fucking twenty like nineteen nineties like two thousands coming of age movies had the best like pop punk bands. They always had like Saves the Day, The Starting Line, All American Rejects. Mm-hmm. Like oh fucking a, we were so blessed. The power of music, and now we're gonna talk about the power of uh, drugs. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to CSP tonight about the decriminalization of drugs in Oregon, and uh, Celine stay on his pond. Please take the floor and help elaborate, so I can understand the rest of the gang. Can do, yeah. So, uh, congratulations to drugs because they have made a major win in the war on drugs. Oh, that meme I say. <laughs> yeah. We'd like to congratulate drugs on the war on drugs for winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Measure uh, One Ten just passed here in Oregon with this past election cycle. There's lots of cool stuff happened in Oregon with that election cycle. We also also uh, legalized the use of psilocybin mushrooms in therapeutic settings, which is also pretty cool. We talked the, talked about that a few months ago on the podcast. But Measure 110 just passed, and it decriminalizes the personal possession and use of all drugs. So every drug you can possibly think of. We're like Amsterdam now. 
Sort of, except for Amsterdam <laughs> is not nearly this progressive. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, you can have pot in Amsterdam, but you can't. You can buy mushrooms in Amsterdam at the, at the local shops. What? Well, sure, yeah, like pot and mushrooms, but we're talking about things as oh. well, like like cocaine, heroin, meth. Whoa. They're taking a real reform to the, the, uh, the drug approach, which is something that everybody should have done years ago. Yeah. Right. Right. So it has decriminalized the personal use and possession of all drugs. That means that basically starting on February 1st of next year, anybody in Oregon, if they get for whatever reason into some type of incident with the police, if they have a small uh, and it it, it varies for the amount of uh, for the drug, the amount that's considered small. But if you have a small amount of an illicit drug, then you can receive a ticket. So it's very similar to a parking ticket or or a traffic ticket. Okay. But you're not going to receive a misdemeanor or felony charge. Right. And it's it's really, it's wonderful. Uh, basically, what will happen is if, let's say that we were doing, you know, lines right now, and a cop <laughs> was just like, hey, I heard about the podcast, I want to stop by. And the cop was like, those are drugs, that's illegal. Then starting on February 1st, we could be like, sure, maybe it's illegal, but you can't send me to jail. The most you can do is give me a $100 ticket. It's a big slap on the wrist. Then. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, it's very similar to a traffic ticket, like, you know, getting yeah. a speeding ticket because you just get this ticket for $100 and you have the option of going to what they've been calling a health assessment. Which is basically completing some type of a stint. Like drivers, the driver's deferral program. It's exactly like driver's deferral program. So you have to complete a a health assessment at at an accredited drug, uh, drug addiction treatment center. And basically, you know, have, have your issues addressed or you can just pay the hundred dollars, which like if you, if we were cutting up lines of Coke right now, (laughs) I would be like, we already spent that hundred dollars on the cocaine. So we would have to go to the class and that would be all that happens. What do you mean if? Well, it's not February 1st I'm yet. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We don't do drugs here. We're pretty clean. We're yeah, pretty, we're, we're, we're family. Cut. We're family friendly. We're like adult swim, if anything. Exactly. Like it's, it's raunchy, but like it's, 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 uh, it's public cable. Worthy. We just like our bubbly drinks. Yeah. <laughs> we're late night, but yeah, not, pa- not pay-per-view. We're ooh, not stars. Oh, I want that in our tagline. We're late <laughs> night. Late we night. are late night. Yes. This is the shit you'd see on Adult Swim at 1.30 a.m. <laughs> followed by the DBZ pre- premiere on a, on, on Toonami. Nice. Anyways, not to derail you. Take no, us back. No, you're good. So the, we're actually the very first state to do this. So no other state in the nation Whoa, okay. is, going to, is going to have this type of decriminalized policy towards drug use. Have all of the other 49 states. Yeah. When this starts in February, all of the other 49 states are still going to have criminal penalties, potentially including jail time mm-hmm. for minor possession. Well, and the only they really and, and again, it's small quantities, right? Right. So this really and this is such a smart way to a, address it because small quantities is not going to be the dealers. obviously. And that's the exact thinking. Yeah, exactly. So it's and that's so why smart. we say decriminalized rather than legalized right. because something that's legal, you can sell to somebody like I could sell you my tablet right now that's yeah. fine if it was cocaine yeah you're still, i couldn't sell it but you would be allowed to have it yeah, if you got x amount of uh dose equis on you and it's not legal it's gonna it's still gonna hurt you but when you have it on you as a, as a person of uh you know liberal usage you're gonna just pay the fine and again i think that's that's so smart yeah no it completely makes sense and while we're the first state in the nation that's going to do this we this is not the first time that uh 
some type of government body has decriminalized drugs. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Have you guys heard of the drug situation in Portugal? How Portugal decriminalized all drug usage? No. What's the sitch? What's the sitch? Yeah. So back in 2001. So we're coming up on 20 years of decriminalization in Portugal. In 2001, they decriminalized all drugs, just like Oregon just did. And instead of criminalizing people for drug use, instead of having jail time and and similar penalties like that, they have optional treatment programs. But it's a very similar situation where, you know, it's a slap on the wrist. And then you are encouraged. And, you know, in certain cases, if you're a repeat, you know, let's say you're a repeat person who's gotten a a heroin (laughs) ticket multiple times. There's going to be some strong encouragement to enter into a rehab situation. However, Portugal has also made it very clear that they're not in the business of forcing treatment on anybody. They're, you know, you you get to choose whether you seek treatment options. They just make that a great possibility. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Portugal, we've seen wonderful success with. So Portugal actually has the lowest drug use rates in all of Europe. And they've been steadily declining. And, you know, drug use is often tied very much to external things like economic situations, Mm -hmm. uh, the state of of the world, the state of your country. So in times of economic deprivation, we often will see more drug use, things like that. So, of course, Portugal has fluctuated a bit, but they remain the lowest drug users in all of Europe, despite Mm -hmm. the rest of Europe having harsh drug penalties. Now, uh, another really great benefit that we've seen in Portugal is that deaths by overdose are extremely down and HIV contraction is down remarkably. So in 2001, 568 people in Portugal were diagnosed with HIV. In 2012, only 38 people. So we're talking a degree a decrease of over 500. How does that correlate though? I mean, I mean, I understand the legality and and how it's mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. criminal, but like how does I mean HIV is contracted like via needle or like uh, intercourse, mm-hmm. like how do, how does the drug being legal impact the uh, the transmission rate? That's a great question. Yeah. So so obviously just decriminalizing doesn't decrease the risk of HIV. However, decri- decriminalizing does reduce the stigma surrounded with with drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you ask for help with a drug, you don't have that fear of what if I get five years in prison? And so because of that, Portugal was able to, first of all, you know, just decrease that stigma and make it so that people felt more comfortable going and saying, hey, I need clean needles. Mm -hmm. But they also did revamp programs that offer clean needles. So they have needle exchange programs and, you know, various testing facilities. They've really bolstered all of the things that go into harm reduction. So that's been, I want to be very clear, that's been key to Portugal's success. And that's not something that's included in what we're seeing now in Oregon. You know, we're not seeing necessarily this massive overhaul where we're going to be doing things like providing clean needle exchanges mm-hmm. and things like that. That said, it's a step in the right direction. So right. A, a lot of the money for this is going to come from marijuana sales. So the tax on marijuana. Yay. Yeah. So tax on marijuana, as well as the fact that we're not going to be spending so much on incarcerating people for drug use. So the money Word. that we would spend on a police officer cuffing somebody taking them to jail for the night we have to house them for the night and however many more nights then we have to go through the court system where we're paying a public prosecutor and a public defender mm-hmm. and then you know if they result in charges we're not paying to house them in prison we're saving a ton of money on each individual person that we just give a ticket to instead of criminalizing which is wild because the industry the prison industrial complex i, I just can't imagine how they let this slip through the cracks like i feel like they because per- you know they're private corporations they're, they're going to lose a ton of money on this. And so I'm just like 
kind of and big. that's why it's stunning I mean, yeah and i'm that's, so proud of oregon for well, me and that's the reason that we see countries like portugal that have done policies like this but we don't see them being widely enacted policies everywhere else despite the fact that they are objectively successful because they're getting blacklisted yeah i mean in america we do have these private co- companies that run prisons of course they don't like ideas like this because of course work. by making something not a crime yeah. we have fewer criminals it, but it, it's crazy because they're already maxed out as it is. So it's like you guys, like your facility's already maxed out as it is. Let it go. Like quit wanting to put people in there for things that are stupid, like marijuana laws. You know, like having a like over an ounce Ugh. of weed on you, dude. And you know what? Someday soon, we'll I'll talk about private prisons and why they're the just worst. The the actual objective worst. Um, just a, a sneak peek onto ooh, that episode ooh, whenever we, we get, do that. In Arizona, we have privatized prisons. Our privatized pr- prisons spend more taxpayer money than the public prisons. I was say, we could cover System of a Down if we do that. Ooh. It's pretty big. Again, it's a big band, but I think that would tie in well if we cover System of a Down. And, Why are they always that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. System of a Down has been like on it from day one when it comes to that. Yeah. Sort of thing, the so. older I get, the more I like System of a Down, honestly. Shred, seriously. Yeah. So I want to know CSPs. You know, throughout this, you know, whole process of decriminalizing, uh, how do you personally, aside from what you mentioned earlier with the prison systems, how do you personally see this benefiting our beautiful state of Oregon? Yeah, another really great question. So, first of all, just as far as the numbers go, we are going to reduce convictions for drug possession by nearly 90 percent. Nice. Because there's still going to be cases where just possession can land you some type of of sentence. Right. You know, if. You've got just a metric fuck ton of cocaine for personal use. No matter how much is for personal use, you you still might get dinged for that. Yeah. So like hide your metric fuck ton of cocaine if the cops come knocking. Yeah, your travel. You have to keep it under, in travel sizes at this point. Right. Exactly. It's like the TSA. You can only have like your three ounce little baggie. But so uh, the the estimates though are pretty incredible when you think about the numbers. So in 2019, 4,079 people were arrested on conviction on uh, possession charges. Mm-hmm. The think tank that I'm looking at, the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission, which has done a lot of the definitive research on this, they project that in 2021, compared to the 4,000 plus people convicted in 2019, in 2021, they expect 378 people to be convicted. Right, and that's a pretty logical case study when you take the numbers because X amount of people for X amount of drug were incarcerated for x amount of time and if it's re- if they if they do the the measuring and then they cut it to like okay well everybody in this category is under x amount they're going to reduce it by 90 percent. so i mean it just makes sense it's, it's almost just, like a, how t-mobile deprioritizes people who use 50 gigabytes of data like 97 percent of people <laughs> don't use that much data <laughs> So the 3% who do might get slowed down. Similarly, right. 97% of people don't use that much coke. Right. The 3% that do might get slowed down. Yeah, 3% who use more than they really should be using. Right. But if yeah. the, the other 90 whatever percent are, you know, they're just casual users and that's not really a threat to themselves or society. But yeah, I just I just want to say those numbers one more time because I just think it's incredible to think about. Like last year, 4,000 plus people went to jail, had some type of misdemeanor or felony charge on their record because of drug possession. We are looking at a decrease in that number of nearly 4,000. So we're looking at like 300 some people going to jail over this, which is just incredible. So to answer your question, Alex, we're looking at over 3,000 people in Oregon every single year who won't be removed from their families and who will have the opportunity to get community-based solutions for their drug issues 
rather than be entirely removed, lose opportunities like being able to get jobs down the road, lose opportunities like uh, like finding housing. Felons have mm-hmm. a very difficult time getting housing. True story. We're going to p- keep people in their houses and in their communities and give them the opportunities to get well, which is just incredible, especially considering that we're talking about around 3,000 Oregonians a year. I like these projected results a lot. and I'm looking forward to the future. I have a question. Yeah. What about reform, though? What about people already, like, for marijuana and stuff? What is, uh, are we doing anything in Oregon to to kind of backdate current uh, convictions that were, or no? Nope. I wish. Okay. Nope. Okay. We understandable. Still... Like, it, uh, understandable why they wouldn't. Again, you broke the law when it was still a law, and, and so that's that sucks. But at the same time, you know... It's understandable in a in a grandiose sense where you know you it's again it you broke the law when it was a law and and so you're gonna be treated as such but dumb it's dumb but I understand the the the, the narrow minded think the think tank behind it but it would be better if we didn't but whatever I mean maybe maybe in the coming years will I mean they're talking about marijuana reform right like that's becoming a a, a topic of conversation now because now it's literally a hundred percent legal for everyone to own and sell yeah and sell and so anyone can go work at a dispensary now so now they're talking I saw something in the news about you know like there being a big reform come for marijuana for people who have been incarcerated uh during the time because well now it's legal so my thoughts and prayers and wishes to all the families who have been affected by these sort of dumb laws mm-hmm. that, you know, are being affected. So I really hope it gets reformed sooner rather than later. Um, but but again, I do understand the other side of the coin where it's like it was a law and you broke the law at the time. So I, mean, I see both sides, but I, I don't agree with both sides. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. We should be seeking to overturn convictions, especially in light of legalization of marijuana and the decriminalization of, of other drugs. Yeah. We absolutely should be pushing for... People that, who are convicted on crimes that are now fine, those people should be out of jail. Yeah. Like if we now recognize that a law was silly yeah. and someone was convicted on that law, we should go ahead and say that their conviction is silly. It's one of our biggest Achilles heels is not knowing when to call it and be like, yeah, we were wrong. That's not that's not the American way. It's like we were never wrong. It's just things have changed now, which is why. But yeah, this is this is still a major step in the right direction as far yeah. as, you know, there are going to be over 3,000 people in the next year who would have gone to an incarceral setting who aren't. It's better than the alternative. You know, that's almost 3,000 Oregonians next year who are going to still have a good time finding housing and finding employment because they don't need to worry about a drug charge on their record. That's where I just always want more. Don't don't listen to me. I'm just I'm just always No, and know. I agree. We absolutely need to be pushing for more and I'm I'm not I'm certainly not trying to discount that at all. I 100% agree. But it, this is definitely one of the first steps and a pretty yeah. Incredible step considering that we're the only state in the nation to do this. One stop, one small step for man, one giant leap for Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I just I really do want to reiterate that as much as this is a great step forward, what you've pointed out as far as the fact that we should be seeking to overturn convictions of people who now wouldn't go to jail at all. We should be doing that. And again, we really need to keep in mind that all of the benefits that we've discussed in Portugal, things like HIV reduction, things like overdose reduction, Mm -hmm. all of those things are still going to be issues because we don't have the same benefits that Portugal does. Like coincidentally, at that same time that Portugal passed these uh, these new laws, they also passed things like everybody having a universal basic income. Wait, yeah. Yeah, so that was monumental just as far as the general ethos of the country at the time. They were pushing for a greater welfare net and a greater understanding of how we can help people who need help. 
the U.S. isn't in that position, obviously. We are still, you know, hung up on the idea of welfare queens and thinking that people who use food stamps are the ones who are making it so that people aren't rich anymore. And so we are not in that position at all. Oregon still is going to have a long ways to go before we see benefits like people, especially with things like HIV transmission. We've got a long way to go as far as providing safe needle exchanges, providing safe and confidential help to people who are using drugs. But this is going to be a wonderful first step. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And potentially, if Oregon handles this well, we could see this spread across the United States. We're kind of the guinea pig here. So it's, it's an exciting moment in history, especially if it works out well. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Yeah. It will. I mean, it will. I mean, obviously, the like you said, the, the, the previous examples show that this is better. And uh, fun, really, let me just let me dial back to many, mm-hmm. many years ago when I was a 15 year old uh, preteen working as a narc uh, buying cigarettes from the gas station. I kid you not. I rolled around with a, a police officer. I didn't know you were a narc. I what? Was a, I was a narc. Yeah. For, at 15 because it was the first job I could get. And my mom worked at the state police and they had a program. And so I got into the program where, you know, underage people go and buy cigarettes and we'd go on these long drives to all these fucking weird places to, to for me to try to buy cigarettes. And some of the conversation with this police officer, you know, he said this was back in two, I was 15, so 2005, what? 2005, this police officer, we, we were talking, you know what he said? He said, we should decriminalize drugs and we should just tax them. 2005, that was 15 years ago. There's a police officer, for, uh, he was a veteran officer. He had been on the force for like 30 years. And, and he told me, a little 15-year-old Mitchell, and he's like, yeah, the war on drugs is a joke. There's no way to stop people from using drugs as long as there's a market for it. People will always buy when they're, and they always find it. And, and he literally was like, as a police officer, I think we should just legalize everything and just tax the shit out of it. And that would be the best way to help this economy. And boom, 15 years later, Look at that man. Look at him. Yeah. Look at him. He called it. Who'd he nailed thought? it. It only took 15 years for the fucking Oregon to get their shit together. But. Well, and I'm not shocked that a police officer knew that that was the solution because they see every ago. day yeah. that no matter how harsh the penalties are, people continue to use. And that's actually something supported by evidence. Like that was one of the big, big things that Portugal looked at when they passed their laws was they said, OK, we've got this massive body of evidence showing that. If you make penalties for drug use harsher and harsher and harsher, there's no correlation with drug use rates going down or down or down. Nope. Oh. You know, effectively, you could make... Because that's a causality. Yeah, like effectively, you could make the use and possession of heroin punishable by like 15 years in prison. Mm -hmm. Or 30 years or 40 years. It's only an And it doesn't decrease the rates of heroin use because people who have are on it for the first time or who are on it who haven't been caught are still not inside the system so the numbers aren't going to reflect the usage rate and so right. until you get the people who are using which is always going to be a consistent growing market because there's always going to be new clients or new users and so it's basically an afterthought by tracking people in prison for conviction rate it's only when they're caught it becomes a part of the system which mm-hmm. is totally backwards it's like no other business runs their shit this way right being like okay once a customer buys something multiple times that's when we're going to consider them a customer it's like no it's you anticipate the customer you anticipate somebody who's going to you look for your market yeah you look for the market that's going to purchase your product and you see how you can appeal to them it's the inverse where you look for people who are interested in said like heroin or whatever and you figure out how to keep them from wanting that or at least 
getting them into the system where you can track them, but not throwing them in prison because at that point it's an afterthought. Right, exactly. And one last thing that I did want to say, because I know I've kind of harped on how we need to have a better social safety net in order to see the results that we saw in Portugal. Mm -hmm. But one thing I did want to mention that is definitely going to be true in Oregon is one thing we know in the United States is that the two weeks after release from incarceration for somebody who abuses drugs, those two weeks are the most dangerous. That's when you're the most likely in your drug use career to have a, a fatal overdose. Fair enough. Because you've been gone for a while, you're stoked to be out and to be using, your tolerance is down. So just the fact that people won't go to prison anymore and won't have that two-week period afterwards. sobriety. If they want to continue to use, they can continue to use just the same as they've always been, which so far hasn't resulted in their death. Mm -hmm. And we we don't have to have them have that two-week period of... Right. A potential fatal overdose these are heightened real by facts, the fact yeah. that they've been in prison. And because these are real facts. I know like like they would tell me like whenever I was doing my recovery that like if you try to go use what you used to use after taking like four months off or three months off, you try to use that, you're going to fucking die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to fucking die. If I took 100 milligrams of Adderall today, I'm pretty sure my heart would explode. Yeah. You'd have a, just a heart attack. Yeah. That would that would be it. Yeah. Scary. It, it was. No, I remember when when I was like taking the prescription for that and, and you know, 40 milligrams, like I, I remember just lying down and just feeling my heart go like feeling it beat out of my chest and then fast forward months or years later I'm taking 100 milligrams and like going to sleep two hours later and being <laughs> fine and just like just try, just that mentality of being like 40 milligrams when I first started like almost had my heart pounding out of my like, chest yeah like I was concerned lying in bed with my eyes wide awake thinking that like my heart is on the verge of exploding versus fast forward 100 milligrams where I would just be passed out falling asleep like it's nothing because my body has calibrated. Had compensated. Yeah. Right. And so yeah anybody who's just fresh off the market and just like back to my normal. Yeah you're gonna die dude. You're gonna die. Don't do that. Right. Exactly. And so that's something that we would 100% will see. Like I 100% anticipate that we're going to see fewer overdose deaths as a direct result of this law. I'm so happy. This is a great topic. This is your best topic yet. Thanks man. Thanks, man. It's interesting to see what the future holds. Celine Santa's Pond, do you have any more statements on how decriminalizing uh, drugs is going to affect Oregon's future? That That's my bit, man. I, I think that we are, you know, just to kind of wrap up and sum up, I think that we are 100% going to see lower rates of deaths by overdose. I think that we're going to see higher rates of successful recovery. So people having access to services that are going to help them recover. And I think that a huge part of that is going to be because we get to keep them in their communities if they want to be. They get to keep having their so same social network, their same social structure, get the support that they need with a state sponsor. You know, at this point now you get to choose if you want to pay a hundred dollar ticket or if you want to not pay a hundred dollars and get free treatment for the drug that you're struggling with. So I think that this is going to be incredible. I think that we're going to see at least 3,000 Oregonians a year and probably more be very happy as a result of this law. So I think that this is a great step going forward. We're Excellent. It's nice to see some different change, social progress and reform through our systems as we learn to decriminalize drugs and learn how we can restructure uh, just the future. So Celine, thank you so much for sharing uh, this piece. You're listening to The March and Mitch Show featuring Celine Santa's Pond. And we're going to take a quick little break right before we go into our nostalgia trip. And I am so pumped to talk about Big Daddy with CSP and Mitchell Herring on the March and Mitch Show featuring Celine Santa's Pond. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. And we're back. 
Coming at you live from Salem Kaiser. Next on to my favorite segment of the show. We're coming at you with all that 1990s and early 2000s nostalgia. Let's give it up for Mitchell Herring as we talk about our 1999 film for the nostalgia trip. This week on the March and Mitch show featuring Celine Santa's pond. It's Big Daddy with Adam Sandler and the youngin who would eventually grow up to be on the Zach and Cody show yeah. where they, they are a sweet life. Yeah, dude. Big Daddy. Sprouse. Yeah, Big Daddy is a 1990 American comedy film directed by Dennis Duggan uh, Dugan, and written by Steve Franks, Tim Harley, and Adam Sandler. It stars Adam Sandler, Joy Lauren Adams, John Stewart from The Daily Show. Uh, Love John oh, yeah. Stewart. Rob Schneider. Uh, Rob Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider, Cole Sprouse, and Dylan Sprouse. So I guess they're both in this. I mean, they must. This must have been one of their uh, first uh, big appearances because they they pulled a Mary Kate Nash. I was just gonna say, yeah. Uh, being on the show, you know, the plot follows the overgrown adolescent man who gets dumped by his girlfriend for not accepting responsibility. He then proves that he is a grown up by adopting a five year old uh, who appears. You know how on- making rash impulse of decisions proves that you're a mature adult <laughs> yeah and um honestly like i was saying like me and uh, csp were talking about this and it is it's really interesting because adam sandler's got a lot of the same old same old when it comes to his movies uh he plays the same character and he really doesn't it honestly doesn't seem like he puts a lot of effort into it for the most part his originals uh happy gilmore and billy madison before he created happy madison productions really set the stage he did a great job in those two movies and eventually went on to make his own production company prior to that though it was pretty uh he did a, like the wedding singer and stuff before he started producing his own stuff he he really seemed to put in the extra effort big daddy especially because big daddy really encapsulates this like nothing nowhere you know adult livelihood struggling with his everyday he's in new york and it really, he does a really good job of uh, encapsulating this character of like, I need to do something more of my life. And, you know, he it just does the worst possible thing he could possibly do. And, and he just basically kidnaps his child. Like it's, it's John Stewart's character's child, uh, illegitimate child that he has nothing, nothing awareness about. But he, he, he calls the adoption company pretending to be that, you know, him. And, and he just basically bogarts his child into this wacky uh, series of things. And his character is so relatable because he just does this wonderful job when it comes to being just this giant piece of shit. There's this ongoing joke of like when he pees the bed, when the kid throws up, like he just puts newspaper over it. <laughs> and, and that's just his solution for pretty much everything. Like that shows you like the level of adulthood he's right. at. He's trying to to raise this child and and, and cleaning up messes, his idea of cleaning things up is just throwing newspaper on it. And so uh, he does a really good job of, of being this kind of like just degenerate adult. And and throughout the movie, you kind of fall in love with him because he, he eventually grows up and he kind of sees that he tries this really different approach when it comes to raising a child. Like he's like, I'm going to let the kid make his own decisions, uh, which is kind of a throwback because he talks about how, you know, his dad really had the structured lifestyle for him. He wanted to be a lawyer. And, you know, now now he's uh, as an adult living off this uh, settlement. The taxi ran over his foot and he got a two thousand dollar settlement. And so he's not really doing anything with his life. And you can tell the conversation he has with his dad are super like, you know, his dad's disappointed. He wants him to do something. And he's he's just trying to 
live his best life, but he doesn't really know what he wants to do. And I think that's probably the most relatable part of the entire movie. And as their relationship grows, you kind of see Adam Sandler mature, um, as, as being an actual role model when he realizes that, you know, letting the kid do whatever he wants all the time is maybe not the best way to do it, but he, he's definitely putting in his best effort throughout the entire movie, which makes the, the relationship between the two really relatable. Yeah. And wholesome. And wholesome. It's the 1999 film Big Daddy with Adam Sandler, John Stewart. And Colin Dillon Sprouse. We were joking at the beginning of the podcast episode about the fucking scene where they, the most iconic they show, scene. They show up to the Dan McDonald's breakfast and it's too late. Oh, we're not serving breakfast anymore. It's like, oh my gosh, don't breakfast anymore. Dude, Holy fucking shit! That Damn scene, it. that scene does hold up too because it's really funny. So, like, originally, uh, remind me where Steve Buscemi's in the in this movie again. Too. Also, also at the stage where you. So it starts oh, yeah. out with uh, with uh, Dylan Sprouse. <laughs> Uh, the little boy is sitting at the edge of Adam Sandler's bed and he's like, I wet the bed. And he's just like, uh, go back to bed. And he's like, but I wet the bed. And so he's like, okay. And he's like, that's a lot of piss. <laughs> he just puts a bunch of newspapers he, down. Yeah, so he puts a bunch of newspapers on the bed. And he's like, all right, go back to sleep. And then uh, Dylan Sprouse is sitting there just rolling around in newspaper, <laughs> just making a ton of noise. For like a good like minute, and he's like, "All right, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up," and then and then he's like, "All right, let's have some breakfast." And so Dylan Sprouse tries to pour some cereal, and he drops the milk, and again his solution is to just cover the milk on the floor with newspapers. And he's like, "Just you know, use newspapers." Yeah, he's like, "I haven't been up this early in in years. Like, why don't we go get some McDonald's breakfast? We got like you know ten minutes to get there." And so they hustle around downtown New York, and uh, they pee on a building, and, and they run, and they find themselves at McDonald's. And he's like, "All right, what do you want?" And he's like. Cheerios. He's like, well, they don't got Cheerios. What else do you want? Lasagna. What the fuck is wrong with you? We'll we'll have our kid. yeah. We'll have we'll have hot cakes and sausage. And he's like, sorry, sir, we don't we don't. And and right before that, they they run into Steve Buscemi, who's this homeless man. Oh, now I remember. Yeah. Okay. And 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 uh, Dylan Sprouse is just asking this kid. He's like, well, why are you homeless? He's like, well, you know what, young man. Uh, I reflected a lot, and it turns out that uh, I made a lot of poor choices as a young adult, and uh, those poor choices kind of led me here. And he's He's like, why? And he just continues to hound him. He's like, hey, listen, guy, I will, I will get you, uh, I'll get you an egg McMuffin sandwich if you end the conversation right now. And he's like, sausage McMuffin and hash browns. He's like, you got a deal. And, then he, <laughs> and basically, he just close, he just roll his Steve Buscemi's eyes just roll in the back of his head, and he just like slumps over into the trash. He's like, oh, look at that, he's asleep, he's asleep. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And then the the infamous they get into McDonald's scene. And uh, they stopped serving breakfast, which is is uh, a scene I related with many times because there's been many <laughs> times in my adolescence growing up where I'd been to McDonald's slightly after 1030 and uh, was given the cold shoulder. So good. Uh, good. Well, on and then you. my favorite part in that in that whole bit was they, you know, they'd had this conversation about with Steve Buscemi about <laughs> how they serve breakfast till 11. And so they go in and they're like, oh, we're not serving breakfast anymore. And Adam Sandler's like, I thought you were serving till 11. And she's like, no, 1030. And he goes outside and he's like, sorry, Steve Buscemi. I, I didn't get you what you wanted because they don't serve breakfast anymore. And Steve Buscemi's like, I thought they served breakfast till 11. <laughs> and Adam Sandler's like, I know, me too. Which I also feel like is a very real conversation that people probably had outside McDonald's. Yeah. 
They have big facts, man. So Big Daddy, that's a nostalgia trip. Super good movie. This really showcases Adam Sandler's uh, ability to be an actor when he's not just producing his own films and lazy, being lazy. Like, let's let's get it real. Uh, a lot of movies that he made uh, prior to his own production company were pretty good, like The Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. These were all like critically, uh, I wouldn't say critically acclaimed, but they were cult classics as far as people were concerned. And then- I love Billy Madison Billy so Madison much. is oh. one of my favorite, dude, that was one of my favorite VHSs, Billy Madison. Yeah, <laughs> I watched. I've watched it so many times. I remember crying. I was laughing so hard when uh, when they were doing the mini putt putt, and he couldn't get it in the clown. And he's like, "You're gonna die, clown!" <laughs> and just like I remember laughing so hard that made me tear up because it was so funny. He's rocking the Bruins uniform yeah. and shit. Yeah. Oh my god. He was in anger management too, right? An anger yeah. No. Anger management was good. That was a good one. He's done a lot of good ones. Again, like after, so, his first production as a solo, I think, was uh, Grandma's Boy. As a young stoner, I don't smoke weed anymore, really. But when I was a young stoner, I remember renting that at like a hotel room with a good buddy of mine. And we were super big stoners at the time, probably like 15, 16. And I remember us loving that movie. Grandma's Boy being like early release on uh, on the hotel TV was like was a huge thing. And that was like the first Happy Madison production. I remember being like really good. He then goes on to make less good ones like Pixel and stuff like that. And, <laughs> for and, and, and again, I think it just went. I oh. could go on for days about pixel i think it just has a lot to do with he doesn't have to answer anyone and i know he he knows he's going to get paid just through brand awareness of adam sandler and people are going to come see his movies and so i think that like the effort has gone out but like i was a huge fan of 50 first dates and stuff like that and he's done a lot of good movies uh what punch drunk love now that is a cult classic people love that movie people that is a cult classic i remember that being like a really big like cult movie so i mean he just really just coasted for many many years and just really didn't seem to give a shit he made a shit ton of money and he knew it and he just like he just made he went the uh what you, what's was uh, he went the uh, Quentin Tarantino route like he just hired his best friends to to act in these movies mm-hmm. whether they were <laughs> whether they were good or not you know he didn't really care but he hired he, he employed his friends had a great time and then recently he did the Netflix movie Uncut Gems right and I, he got nominated for an Oscar for that one so Whoa. yeah that that and again that movie he actually decided to put on his acting pants so Adam Sandler super talented whether it just really seems to be it really boils down to like whether he wants to or not which is super cool right like, and I think just, probably whether he has an external force being like uh, this isn't working right. as opposed to just his own production agency right like, right he, I, I believe, he hired everybody that's there so they all of course are going to be like yeah. yeah, Pixel seems like a great concept. And then Netflix. no one will have problems with this. And <laughs> what a terrible movie it is! Oh my god! Yeah, because remember the movie was so fucking lazy. Like they used to be like, "Hey guys, remember Donkey Kong?" Yeah. Oh my god! Well, here is Donkey Kong. <laughs> see, I'm just, I, I'm gonna keep it brief. But here's my thing about Pixel is it is just the wet dream of every mediocre dude. Yeah. Because like one of the key points is that Adam Sandler doesn't fucking brush his teeth yeah. in that movie. So he shows up to the house of this. Very intelligent, very successful military like executive lady to install her TV or whatever. And she's like, your breath smells bad. And he's like, yeah, I don't brush my teeth. And then they get together at the end because he's good at video games. It's it's exactly (laughs) what every fucking mediocre incel out there is like, yeah, 
If only I could live in a scenario where the world was video games, then I'd show this hot bitch. <laughs> and it comes in like two seconds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just it's it's the wet dream of every dude I've ever hated in my entire life. This is why. And I resent Adam Sandler for making this movie. Uh, this is why I don't advocate for him because again, while he's got his kudos and he's got his credentials, I can't advocate him for for putting out movies like like pixel and and there and 51st no not 50 click i wasn't a huge fan of click like he's done a lot of I like, actually, my, I like my click. ex loved click my ah. ex said that he cried watching click yeah it, again it's it's he's he's hit or miss uh uncut gems he really decided to show up at and he did a great job again i i remember watching that and being like this is an adam sandler he doesn't know how to act like this and apparently he does it's just really it just depends on if he wants to or not so Big Daddy, I believe, is his first dramatic role. It is a dramatic comedy, more dramatic than comedy. I've always felt the movie wasn't funny, but like it had funny moments. But like, kind of like Liar Liar for Jim Carrey was like really dramatic, but like was also funny. I feel like Big Daddy would be classified more as a drama than a comedy. It's just a it's just dramatic story with uh, comedic highlights which is uh again one of his for me his best role Celine you had never seen it and we watched I'd it. never seen it yeah and, and to this day I think Big Daddy stands out as one of the movies that it was a decent movie yeah. I I as much as I don't care for Adam Sandler at all I I will give it that it was a decent movie yeah it's a, 20 years later it stands the test of time it's done a lot better than a lot of the other movies we reviewed that's for sure although it does also have that same kind of friends conundrum of how is this man affording this incredible apartment in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> that will never, I mean, 1999, maybe prices were cheaper. Who knows? Oh, no, he had the settlement. That's why he had such a nice amount. Oh, yeah. you're right. You're right. You're right. They did a good job with the okay. whole story. The whole plot is really filled in as far as there's not a lot of questions to be asked because the settlement answers the money question. That's true. You're yeah. right. Uh, so, again, great movie. Big Daddy, that's our nostalgia trip for the week. Again, I, whether you're on the fence or off the fence when it comes to Adam Sandler, uh, you can't deny some of his, his best movies movies are are good regardless of what you think i believe that's enough for tonight we're going to wrap it up here uh my name's mitchell Heron. we have alex marchuski celine sanis ponds this is the show anyone have any last two cents my last two cents is we should totally do during hanukkah time hanukkah time we need to do eight crazy nights eight <laughs> yes that movie is wild our movie is wild in my i have not seen that one my other last two cents is i'll never forget watching you remember like watching like car, uh, saturday morning cartoons on like kids wb mm-hmm. they had static shock yep and they were like static shock shows up to the date like after fighting superheroes he's like, supposed to date some bitch in the high school and he's all like yo let's go see the new sandler flick he's like yeah. oh you're lucky i like Adam Sandler because you're late. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember. That, oh my actually. God. They name dropped. They actually yeah. name dropped him and shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whether it's comedy, music, media, alternative lifestyles, current events, social commentary, new music, literature, come and at you live from a garage over in Salem Kaiser. Thank you for listening to the show tonight. Have a farewell and a good evening. Thank you for listening to us. Bye. Bye. Bye.